Hello, Muppet fans. You look lovely tonight. Welcome once again to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we have a very special return guest. Tell the folks who you are, a very special return guest. Hi-ho, Eric Adams, television editor at the AV Club here. That's a great... I, I'm surprised that no one has thought to do that yet. <laughs> yeah, this, is our, this is our 25th episode. We're halfway through the movie, and you're the first one to do that. It, pop, it just popped into my head. I was like, somebody's bound to have done this already. But uh, I'm happy to hear that uh, I'm the most original person that's been on the podcast so far. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. And uh, today on the podcast, we are looking at minutes 49 and 50 of the Muppet movie. This clip begins with Miss Piggy trying to make sense of what she's just seen. And it ends with the reveal of cameo guest star Steve Martin as Kermit and Piggy's waiter at the restaurant. So uh, we start with sort of the the tail end of the previous scene, which is Gonzo uh, popping onto the windshield. And Piggy says, I don't understand any of this which is a reasonable reaction, although she did just choose, choose to uh, jump in a car with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> well, uh, that actually, I don't understand any of this, is one of my favorite lines in this movie. Like, I say it all the time. I mean, I, I think I've said this several times so far. I say that line from the Muppet movie all the time, but that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm doing a podcast where we watch it two minutes at a time. Um, but it really is one of my favorites. There's just something about the way Frank Oz says it I mean, it could easily be uh, like a nothing line on paper. Yeah. The way that Piggy just seems so kind of like she's confused, but she's trying to be nice about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's he's, really funny. He's good at taking a good line and turning it into a great one. She's just, she's just a simple country gal from, uh, from Bogdan County. And uh, all of a sudden she's, she's been swept up in this grand adventure. Yeah, she just met these people, and they're like they've been shot at. There's been a car chase. So. <laughs> There's a giant uh, monster following them around, trying to go to Hollywood as well. <laughs> yes, yes, that's actually the next thing we see. Um, there's a tent. All the beauty pageant winners go running, screaming out of the tent, and there's Sweetum still trying to catch up with those guys. Which I think that all the contestants running out of the tent screaming works because we know Sweetums to be such a kind, unassuming guy, right? Yeah, like, and, we've, and we've already seen enough of him in the movie to get that impression. Right. And that's, that's such a classic Muppet-like balance between that very frightening outward appearance and the very sweet soul within him. Yeah, Sweetums is a great example of that. He looks scary. If you just saw him, you'd probably think that he was just like a scary bad guy monster character, but he's usually depicted as a pretty nice guy. Right. Well, and in his first appearance in the Frog Prince, he actually starts out as kind of a bad guy. Yeah. And the, Right. I mean, the joke is that his name is Sweetums, even though he's like a hulking brute of a monster. But then by the end of that, he's already living up to his name. And then from then on, he was just a heck of a fella. <laughs> Apologies if you guys have uh, discussed this before, but, uh, were there any Muppets that you were afraid of when you were kids? Uh, I'm sure there were. I, I can't think specifically. 
I, I mean, it would have been probably one of the monsters. Or I know I've heard people say they were afraid of Beautiful Day Monster, that that blue kind of flat-topped, flat face. Like, his, his mouth kind of looks like a beak. He was on yeah. both Sesame Street and The Muppet Show, actually. Uh-huh. I've heard people say they were afraid of, of that guy. So this isn't a Muppet that scared me most of the time. But do you remember the sketch where Ernie and Bert go to a pyramid? Oh, <laughs> yes. And Ernie dances with a statue that looks like Ernie and Bert doesn't believe him and they're trapped down in a pyramid and his best friend is going to leave him there to be danced to death by a thousand-year-old spirit. <laughs> um, terrified me as a kid. And oh, I've yeah. seen it as an adult a number of times. And it still does. I think it's just the <laughs> claustrophobic just horrifying thing yeah that's the scariest thing ever on sesame street and i guess i wouldn't have thought of it as as a scary muppet but it, it's more about the behavior of the the ernie statue character than the appearance of it but yeah you're absolutely right that's a that's a scary muppet <laughs> yeah. anyways I how mean, about you i mean for it's it's a it's a weird thing for me for as much as i love these characters and i love this world like i had a very hard time with certain characters and certain sketches from the muppet show uh the one that like had the deepest impact on me is from the uh the peter ustinov episode in the first season uh you do something to me there's just something about like the the mix of the sound effects in that performance the way that the svengali puppet looks and the fact that like the the anything Muppet that's getting changed throughout the song seems to be in pain, like just had this. I I remember watching it on a VHS tape that my grandma made for me from the reruns that were airing on TNT at the time, and just like bolting out of the room, and it haunted me for years. And when the DVDs finally came out, like. I tried to I tried to do like a little bit of immersion therapy for myself <laughs> with that segment, and it's still like leading up to it. I was really really jangled by it. Huh? Yeah, that's I also I, I also had recurring nightmares about Animal for a long time, uh, which was very difficult because he's one of my favorite characters. Wow. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm thinking about it. I think there were probably a few things on Fraggle Rock that spooked me as a kid too. There were some sure. some pretty weird looking monsters on that show. Yeah. Well, sorry to get a sidetracked on. Uh, oh, that's okay. Uh, psychology no, that's, here. That's what it's all about. It's not uh, too far off topic. Yeah. No. Good. And <laughs> and I, I did want to say it's Sweetums has still not caught up to the guys, but it's pretty impressive that he he tracked them to the fair. Like they were just there. He's right behind them. Yeah. We didn't know that. Maybe Sweetums is part bloodhound. No. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know how he figured out that's where they were, but yeah, he caught their scent. That's a, as good an explanation as any. In the middle of a literal running gag. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, in the car, uh, Miss Piggy is uh, is complimenting Kermit. He was so courageous, so magnificent. Uh, Fozzie, in a rare moment of, uh, of attitude, points out that he was the one who did the driving. Well, yeah, yeah you, you say rare moment of attitude. What I love about it is he just seems annoyed. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like he's mad. It's just we we almost always, when we see Fozzie, he's either really upbeat because his act is going to go really well or he's distraught because his act went horribly, right? Those, <laughs> yes. those are Fozzie's two modes. That's the before so and we, after. Right. So for him to just be kind of, like, perturbed that this 
pig is flirting with Kermit in the car that he's driving. That's not even his uncle's car. It's just <laughs> it's such an interesting mode for like m- mood for him, and I really like it. And you got Frank Oz switching back and forth between those two attitudes right there. That Piggy, mm. so so enamored of Kermit, Fozzie so upset at Piggy. Piggy, you know, once once again, you know, we're talking about the way that Frank Oz can can elevate a line. Uh, Piggy has that that great line about Kermit assuming the awesome responsibility of command. Yeah, right, right. And then Fozzie follows that up with, "Oh, brother." <laughs> something I do with something like the Muppet movie when I've seen it a million times in a scene like this is just kind of try to figure out was Frank Oz performing Piggy and he dubbed Fozzie later or the other way around I guess Piggy is sort of the focus of the scene so he probably performed Piggy and, and somebody else is doing Fozzie and then yeah that's what I was thinking it yeah. feels like Piggy has more line although I wonder um with the driving thing, I mean, I guess he thought, thought Frank isn't driving, but like, was it a special thing where like he had figured out how to make Fozzie look like he's driving? You know what I mean? Or right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and he also would have the the right hand puppeteer, so they could, you know, do the the effect of Fozzie working the steering wheel. So yeah, maybe they maybe they stuck with that just because it worked. Right. Anyway, we should ask him. Yes, <laughs> we should ask him on Twitter. Yeah, that I, I wouldn't sure expect he'll get him. right back to you. <laughs> yeah, so far he hasn't responded to any of my tweets, but mm-hmm. someday. <laughs> the one other character that is in the step, very prominent in the scene is Gonzo. And what I love about this is while Fozzie's being annoyed, Gonzo says, and I took a hundred foot belly flop onto a moving car. So he just like wants credit for his stunt, right? Like that's what's <laughs> going through Gonzo's mind during this, during everyone else's complex emotions. <laughs> Gonzo yeah. very much off in his own world. Uh, he interprets Piggy's invitation to dinner uh, as an invitation for him. Yeah. Although he's sitting right next to Camilla, man. <laughs> yeah, he's a bad boyfriend. He's a terrible boyfriend in this. Like, what I was going to say in general, these two minutes have some of the most like dialogue and character-based humor of the entire movie, hmm. I think. like We tend to think of the Muppets as... You know, all their jokes are explosions, wacky jokes, sight gags, right? But what we don't talk about as much is how they can just do, like, dialogue that display, like, allows the characters to bounce off of each other. And I think that this entire scene is such a great example of that. It's mostly just talking. And it's still really funny and really Muppety. Which is a rarity in this movie because it moves moves so fast and it is so jam-packed with jokes that like this kind of is this moment where after everything at the fair and Gonzo up on the balloons, like they kind of take this moment to exhale and kind of reorient themselves and like point the movie in the direction of the next scene where like in, you know, in earlier scenes, the transitions are kind of taken care of in a jokey fashion, you know, like when Fozzie and Kermit get, to the church and meet Dr. Teeth, like what a normal movie would do, they do that meta joke where Dr. Teeth is reading the script. Like this is kind of the (laughs) rare moment in this movie where I guess the movie is behaving like an ordinary movie. (laughs) For once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you mentioned Piggy saying, why don't we stop and have a nice quiet dinner for two? 
Yeah. Right. Um, Kermit, Kermit's response to that is so great, I think, which is to get really flustered and say that uh, that uh, that uh, might be nice. <laughs> which is like, I think it was one of our previous guests. I think it was Danny Horn said that this is the first time Kermit and Piggy were ever really a couple. This movie, right? Like Kermit on the Muppet Show, he has no romantic interest in Piggy here. Like on the show, he didn't. I mean, right? Yeah, really, up to the time of this movie. Yeah, and here he's like so clearly thinks that she's a nice person and wants to get to know her better, and clearly like finds her adorable, but doesn't really know how to express it. And instead, it comes out in these awkward, nervous little lines like that. I think it's great. Is this also the first time that there's a hint that Gonzo may have affection for Piggy, which is you know something that no, gets picked up a little bit more that actually, in uh, Muppet Babies. but Right, but that actually comes from early on in the Muppet Show. Okay. Um, the Madeline Kahn episode in season two, most notably, has a whole subplot about how Gonzo like, is over Miss Piggy and is moving on to Madeline Kahn. Yeah, there are a few instances of that in the first maybe season and a half or so of The Muppet Show. And then I think once they decided that it was hilarious that Gonzo had a thing for chickens, they just sort of left that behind and let Kermit and Piggy be a thing. Yeah. Although, like, I, I'm glad they brought it out here just so that Piggy can call him Buzzard Beak. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, that also seems like the kind of thing you would see on Muppet Babies. It's yeah. Very much so, yeah. Um, yeah, so Miss Piggy says, why don't we... Uh, stop somewhere for the night so i guess she's she is suggesting that they all check into a hotel is that the idea i mean it certainly seems like a hotel restaurant yeah that they're like i mean you know we we haven't seen ralph yet of course but i mean they have a piano player and you know that's the kind of stuff you see in hotel restaurants a lot yeah and we don't know how many days exactly they've been traveling or if this is still like the second or third day of their trip but I guess it makes sense that they would need to stop somewhere for the night at some point. Right. Which also, so like we're, we're just left to imagine what Fozzie, Gonzo, and Camilla are up to during this time. And I like to think that they're just hanging out at the pool, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fozzie, they got their trunks on. I don't know. Seems, seems like fun. <laughs> Fozzie wears trunks for the pool? I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not wearing anything else when he's in the car. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good grief, the comedian's a bear. Uh, no, he's not. He's all wearing swimming trunks. Um, but speaking of which, Kermit puts on a nice leisure suit for his date. Yeah. <laughs> now, where, where did, I guess, does Piggy, yeah, Piggy brought her luggage at this point, but where did Kermit get this suit? Was that in his little bindle that he brought with him on the trip? Yeah, that's Maybe that's he the picked whole it up thing. at that's the gift shop. Yeah, that's the theory. That makes sense. Yeah, a, a hotel, a nice fancy hotel would have a, a well-stocked gift shop. Yeah, with frog sizes. <laughs> yes. So this restaurant, yeah, it's a very sort of rustic looking, but still kind of fancy. Um, I guess, is, is it sort of supposed to be Swiss themed? Because the waiters have these outfits... I don't know. It seems like they're going for some kind of specific theme, but I'm not sure what it is. It's it's Swiss or it's Bavarian. Uh, it always reminds me, uh, growing up in Michigan, we would frequently go to this little tourist town that's uh, in the middle of the state called Frankenmuth, which is where a lot of Bavarian settlers 
uh, came and sort of built up this big farming community. Uh, uh-huh. But somewhere along the lines, they also opened two gigantic fried chicken restaurants where <laughs> one of them is like straight up Bavarian themed uh, waiters in lederhosen, waitresses in dirndl dresses, uh, wandering accordion players. So the the hotel restaurant here has always reminded me of that. Huh. Yeah, just a little bit theme parky, I think. Yes. And just oozes 70s-ness, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we this is our, our next scene. It brings us to the restaurant where Miss Piggy enters and Kermit, as we mentioned, is obviously smitten. Right. He, he says, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wouldn't you, after that entrance? Oh, yeah, that great dramatic walk across the restaurant floor. Like, she's, and she's just, like, milking it for maximum effect, right? She's taking her time. <laughs> And again, they've only known each other for a few hours at most here, but they're already really falling for each other. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to bring in something here from the famous June 12th, 1978 draft of the script. There was yet another appearance by Henry Kissinger, <laughs> who I think this was his third or possibly fourth uh, appearance in that script, attempting to make a cameo in the movie only to get shot down once again by Kermit. Uh, in this scene, he shows up as a busboy and offers to get Kermit a glass of water or some breadsticks, but Kermit says, nope, nope, sorry, there's no place for you in this movie, and, and Henry Kissinger is sad. <laughs> and then uh, when Piggy shows up, she says, oh, I hope I didn't keep you waiting, and Kermit says, no, I was just chatting with Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Which would have been a great payoff for the whole thing. I mean, I'll say character-wise, like in the movie, Kermit says it was worth it. Which is a nice character moment, but it's not as funny as I was just chatting with Henry. <laughs> that's true. It's a that's but that's like it's such a both Python esque and kind of Simpsons esque joke. Like that's yeah. Gosh, oh yeah, that, that is so funny. But I don't know if it like if it really gels with the rest of the movie. Right. Well, and and as we've discussed previous, this is the third time we've talked about Henry Kissinger on this yep. podcast. Um, I mean, how? Why wouldn't you? Right. There was no way he was going to do it. Like, <laughs> there was never going to be a well, reality. It even says that in his first appearance in the script, there's some note like, "Yes, we know we'll never get him, but he, he's going to be in this movie anyway." Something to that effect. It would have been really funny if they would have like, just like kept moving down the line and then ended up with like, I I don't know. Rip Taylor? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so who comes in between Henry Kissinger and Rip Taylor in that line? What is the line of succession here? There are are many steps on the line of succession, right? Uh You can't get Kissinger. Then you go with, oh, I don't know, uh, Johnny Carson. And eventually, you end up with Rip Taylor. (laughs) All right. As long as you've thought this through. So then there was also going to be in this draft uh, just one shot where there was going to be a large water wheel right behind Kermit. And you would see the water just uh, flowing over it. And then at one point, the wheel turns and Max shows up wearing a snorkel and like spying on Kermit and then just rides the water wheel back down underwater. (laughs) And I think that probably got cut just because they realized that there was enough of Doc Hopper and Max in the movie already, but I wonder if they also just didn't want to, you know, spend the money to build that water wheel. Uh, yeah, reasonable. So anyway, 
that is from the the script of with the the stuff that didn't happen but back to the things that do happen uh, i like that kermit pushes piggy's chair in as she sits down which is one of these little details where if you think about it these are puppets so that chair almost certainly does not have a seat <laughs> so kermit just kind of pretends to push the chair in and piggy pretends to push you know to sit down on the cushion yeah huh you're right well, and there's also, there's a really nice little moment right after that where she kind of like snuggles up next to him and he kind of like slowly moves over to another chair. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to be too forward or something. Hmm. Or he doesn't want her to be too forward. <laughs> that and might it, be more. Yeah. I hadn't noticed yeah, yeah. that. And it's just, again, like we've talked about how great Jim Henson and Frank Oz are at their jobs, but it's such a subtle little thing. That, again, I've never noticed until I was watching it for this podcast. Yeah. But it, it helps. It makes Kermit feel really real. Yeah. It's it's acting. Yeah. Uh, and then in just a moment, Kermit calls the waiter. Do we have anything else uh, before the reveal of the waiter? I don't. No, nope, I don't. Okay. So Kermit says, oh, waiter. The waiter turns around and it's Steve Martin. <laughs> and what a reveal. What oh, like man. What what build up and <laughs> I you know I was thinking about it before the podcast and kind of making my notes and for Steve Martin to turn around would have been like this this was his moment you know it's 1979 uh, it's the summer when this movie's out so the jerk hasn't come out that's that's coming out in December um, he's done SNL six times he's put out three comedy records. So, well, you know, he's, he's on, he's on top of the world. Like, and not, not, not only that, this is his second movie that he was in. And the first one was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. <laughs> yeah. So you right? can only go up from there. Where he sings Maxwell's Silver Hammer. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, he's, he's the, but like you said, he's like the biggest comedy star in the world, but he's not a movie star yet. That's what's so fascinating to me. Yeah, but he's playing it like he already is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And I mean, he was the uh, definitely the biggest stand-up comedian in the world or in the the country at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, he's a star. And he definitely I I am going to go ahead and say he's the best cameo appearance in this movie. Uh I think I agree. I think it's between him and another one we haven't seen yet. Mm, so. intriguing. But yeah, yeah he's I'm with Anthony on this one. Like, I think I think he's good, but there's there's competition just right. down the line. Yes, yeah. We're I'm sure I'm sure we're talking about the same thing. But yes. Wow, what a teaser! <laughs> I love I love when we do that. But yeah, I mean, you can already tell we are gonna get to more of Steve Martin's appearance uh, in next week's episode. But you can already tell, like, he's really making this character his own. It, it's just a waiter, but. He's just infusing it with so much, so much of Steve Martin. <laughs> well, I think it's important that he's to note that he's credited as insolent waiter. Oh, yeah, that is important. Which seems like a title that he may have given the character. Also, yeah, like that seems like something. It seems like a word choice he would make in his act. You, you know, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it's it's very Steve. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I just said insolent like Steve Martin, so it might as well. <laughs> Very much he would, so. He, he would put the, inf- the, the emphasis on that in. 
yeah, yes, for sure. Um, also, I, I've been keeping track of how many Muppet Show guest stars have shown up in this movie. And uh, Steve Martin was on the show in season two, which makes him number eight for Muppet Show guest stars in the Muppet movie so far. Eight out of how many? Eight out of nine. Just one Ooh, more. One oh. more. And yeah, that's a, that's a good episode. It's, it, it strays from the usual format where the show is canceled because they have to hold auditions which I, I don't remember where I read this or heard this, but I think part of the reason they did that was because there was no other really natural way to incorporate his act into The Muppet Show. So this way they could just have him come out and like do a song with the banjo and then come out and do balloon animals, and it, it just it didn't seem too weird. I think you're thinking of uh, actually a column written by former podcast guest Noel Murray. Oh, yes. Ah. Uh, his installment yeah. his uh, some years ago about the Steve Martin episode. I think he talks about that. Do you remember if there was an actual source or if, if it was more like just uh, theorizing from what we see on the screen? I don't, but e- either way, uh, listeners, you should go read that article. It's great. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll link to it here on the website. Yeah, we sure will. Eric, you reviewed his episode too, yeah? Yes, yeah. I was about to say, you can also read my thoughts on it. Yeah, well, so when, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll link to that as well. <laughs> when I, when I uh, took up the labor of love of trying to write full-length recaps of The Muppet Show for two seasons, which... Oh, man. Very and they were draining. so good. Like, I, sure, sure. Well, you know, we're doing them now at Tough Pigs, and we've been like, each of us will just do three or four of each season. So I admire your dedication. Oh, yeah, we... You. We had to split it five ways. I don't know how you did it, taking them all on yourself. <laughs> uh, it was often very early Tuesday morning. I would get into the office way before everybody else because I had uh, kind of procrastinated on it. And... <laughs> well, they were fun. they were a delight to read, so we'll definitely link to them. Yes, thank you very much. And um, that's actually all I have. I don't know if, if, if you guys have more about Steve Martin specifically or the restaurant scene, but... Uh pretty much does it for my notes. Uh, I, I would like to recommend to the listeners, uh, if you're interested in Steve Martin waiter-based humor, uh, to check out his short film, uh, The Absent-Minded Waiter, which you can find on YouTube uh, with Buck Henry and Terry Garr. And it's just this really well-made, well-put-together, perfectly-paced uh, short film where he plays a, a very different type of crummy waiter. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had not heard about it until a few years ago. Uh, I'm going to uh, watch out. I'm about to drop a name. But uh, I was interviewing Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, and he brought it up. And it was, uh, it was just like such a lovely discovery because it was just, it was this little piece that Steve Martin had made, I think, in cooperation with the Aspen Comedy Festival, maybe, like in the late 70s, early 80s. And it aired uh, as part of Homage to Steve, which was one of the TV specials he did for NBC, uh, which can be found in the Steve Martin, the television stuff box set from Shout Factory, which I would also highly recommend. I, I, I second that recommendation. I have that box set too, and it's delightful. I have known that that short film existed for years, but I didn't know that anyone had put it on YouTube. So I'll have to take a look. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's there in its entirety and it's a, you know, it's seven minutes long. So it's, it's perfect for YouTube much, much like a lot of 
decontextualized Muppet Show uh, segments. It works perfectly as a little bite-sized thing. Yeah, for sure. All right. Any other notes on minutes 49 and 50? I think that's it for me. All right. So with that, we will wrap things up. And uh, listeners, please check us out on toughpigs.com on the internet and also as Tough Pigs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and whatever else is out there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You can find Anthony on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Eric, remind people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me at the internet uh, at the AV Club, uh, which is avclub.com. And I'm on Twitter at Eric M. Adams. The M is for Muppets. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay! And everyone, if you have a minute, please give us a positive review on iTunes and tell all your friends about the show. And we will see you next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye-bye. So long, Buzzard Beak. <laughs>